This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 123, entitled The Meaning and Origin of Monoyanis in John 1.14. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast aiming to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God, and about the humanity of Jesus. I appreciate you so much for joining us today at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. I will be your host, and my name is Dustin Smith. What does it mean when the New Testament calls Jesus the only begotten Son of God? Is this a reference to Jesus' conception when he came into existence in the womb of his mother, Or is there something deeper at play with this description, only begotten? This episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast is dedicated to looking at the meaning of the Greek adjective monoyanis, which is famously translated as only begotten. Some modern voices have objected to this English rendering. So we will examine those claims in order that we may become better informed on Greek lexical matters. I also want to try to examine why the Gospel of John, and in particular the prologue, depicts the logos that became flesh in the human Jesus with this adjective monoyanis. Why attribute this term to Jesus when it is completely absent in the three synoptic gospels in regard to Jesus. Is there a purpose to using the adjective monoyunis, which is used less than 10 times in the New Testament, and half of those occurrences are of persons other than Jesus? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is just simply defining monoyanis. Our base passage is going to be out of John 1.14, the passage we have been studying for the last few episodes. I'll just read it as it stands out of the New American Standard Version. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's John chapter 1, verse 14, out of the New American Standard Version. So the NASB translates our subject adjective, monoyanis, as only begotten. But as I mentioned in the introduction, there are many modern voices that are strongly objecting to this particular translation. And instead of just looking at the opinions of a variety of armchair theologians on the internet, I'd like to look at the most informed lexical commentaries and lexicons that I have available to me. So I'm going to start off with the BDAG lexicon, which is the standard Greek lexicon for New Testament studies. So under monoyunis, it tells us that it comes from two words. It comes from monos, which means only, and yenos which is where we get the word genus from, but it means genus or kind 
And so the first definition that BDAG gives to monoyanese, the adjective is, quote, pertaining to being the only one of its kind without a specific relationship. One and only, or only. The second definition is pertaining to being the only one of its kind or class, unique in kind. And so there we have the two definitions that our best Greek lexicon gives us, and we see that this adjective is a combination of two words, monos and genos, and it has to do with something that is one of a kind or unique. But BDAG does not translate monoyunis as only begotten. And I think that's very interesting. But let's look at a couple of other dictionaries. The newly printed Brill Dictionary of Ancient Greek for monoyunis also helpfully tells us that it comes from monos and yenos, meaning the only one of its kind. And this definitions for a variety of Greek sources, both in and outside the Bible, involve unique, only begotten, that which has a single form, and uniquely. Primarily we're seeing here the word unique, but it helps us to give the derivation of model unis. The LSJ, which is the Lydell Scott Jones Greek lexicon, also helpfully tells us that the word comes from monos and Yenos. I suppose I should say this, that I am pronouncing my Greek with a modern Greek dialect, because Greek is a modern language. And so some people who have studied Greek in seminary learn the Erasmian pronunciation, but I'm speaking with the modern pronunciation. The exegetical Greek dictionary of the New Testament, from Marionis, tells us that the definition is only meaning one of its kind, or unique. It also helpfully tells us that monoyunis means only one of its kind unique, derived from monos and yenos. Very helpful. In the last 10 years, we have an interesting commentary out of the Erdman's Critical Commentary Series by Urban von Wald. And he says this in regard to the term as it appears in John 1.14. He translates it as unique. And he says, quote, This term is often but incorrectly translated only begotten. The Greek term monoyunis means one, from monos, of a kind, from yenos, that is unique. So that's very interesting that we're looking at a variety of lexicons and even a recent commentary published in the last decade that all unanimously are saying that this word is a combination of monos and yenos. And the word yenos comes from the derivation of where we get genus, which means a kind, okay? There have been some people on the internet that have suggested that monoyunis comes from the Greek verb yenao, which means to bring into existence or to cause something to come into existence. It's usually used of when someone is fathering a child. But none of the lexicons, at least in our modern times, are saying that. It's not coming from yenao, 
the verb. It's coming from genos, where we get genus, which means kind. It means one of a kind, the only one of its kind. So it is being suggested that we should translate it as unique or one of a kind. And that's very different from only begotten. And so I'm not making any judgment calls on that. I'm just simply looking at the best information that we have in regard to defining these words. And I am seeing that there are fewer voices that are saying that we need to translate this as only begotten and that the actual evidence is that the word means unique or one of a kind. Now this adjective monogenes appears nine times in the New Testament. Four of those times are in the Gospel of John, three times in the Gospel of Luke, once in Hebrews, and once in 1 John. But monogenes is used in reference to Jesus only in the Johannine literature, in the Gospel of John, and in that one occurrence in 1 John. It is not used of Jesus in Luke, nor in Hebrews. So that's very interesting. So I'd like to know, if it's possible to even know, why is it that monoyonis is an adjective, which I'm going to just start translating as unique, because I think that's the best definition of it. Why does monoyonis only appear in the Johannine literature, primarily in the Gospel of John, and it doesn't show up in other places in regard to Jesus. That'll move us to our second point, where we look at the origins of monoyonis. Our second point today is Lady Wisdom as monoyonis. And there I have tipped my hand, but I'm going to demonstrate that the Gospel of John is portraying Jesus with this phrase, monoyonis, because it was formerly used of Lady Wisdom, and the Gospel of John is participating in Wisdom Christology. So let's look at this passage from Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 7 and verse 22. Wisdom of Solomon was written 50 years before the Gospel of John, and it's been demonstrated that the Gospel of John is drawing quite heavily on the book Wisdom of Solomon in its depiction of Jesus. So Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 7 and verse 22 says... For wisdom, the fashioner of all things, taught me. There is in her a spirit that is intelligent, holy, unique, manifold, subtle, mobile, clear, unpolluted, distinct. That's Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 7 and verse 22. Where are subject that we are looking at, the Greek adjective monoyonis, is used to describe Lady Wisdom. In the New Revised Standard Version, when it translates Wisdom of Solomon, it translates the adjective monoyonis as unique. Now this passage in Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 7, actually offers 21 traits of God's personified wisdom. I only read chapter 7 and verse 22, but the passage goes on for quite a while. And since we have observed numerous parallels to Lady Wisdom in the prologue of the Gospel of John, we need to take seriously that the fourth Gospel draws upon the description of Lady Wisdom as monoyonis, as one who is unique. She is one of a kind as the wisdom of God. 
So my argument here, and this is actually what the modern commentaries are also saying, is that the Gospel of John is portraying Jesus as the unique one, as the monoeunice, specifically by drawing upon the reference formerly used of Lady Wisdom in Wisdom of Solomon chapter 7, verse 22, and taking that description and now applying it to the man Jesus Christ. Now, how does this apply to Jesus in regard to him being unique? And particularly in our passage of John 1.14, that Jesus is the unique one from the Father. Well, in John 1.12, those who believe in the name of the embodied Logos are called children of God. But the designation children uses the Greek noun technon. However, Jesus is consistently described in the Gospel of John as eos, not as technon. So technon is a more generic term for child. In the plural, it gets used as children in the Gospel of John. But eos is a stricter term for son, and it's used exclusively for Jesus in the Gospel of John. So both are sons, both are children, but the Gospel of John is consistent in its distinction throughout its document, using eos for Jesus as son and using technon for believers who become sons of God, sons and daughters of God, children of God. Those who believe become children of God, but Jesus is the Son of God in a class all by himself. He is the unique Son. And I don't think that is really a stretch for biblical Unitarians to consider. Certainly, Jesus is not the same as every Tom, Dick, and Harry out there, even those who are righteous persons. Jesus is God's anointed Messiah. He is the King of God's kingdom. He is the sinless one. He is the one who has been authorized as God's uniquely empowered agent. So Jesus is really in a class all by himself. And I think that is why, among many reasons, he is called unique. He is used in regard to this adjective, monoyunis. While it is significant that Jesus' description of the unique son clarifies his relationship to God the Father, we must not lose sight of the fact that calling Jesus the Monoyunis is to further portray him in terms of God's personified wisdom, thus further elaborating the wisdom Christology of the prologue. That's a major point, is that the prologue has taken a dozen, dozens actually, of references formerly used of Lady Wisdom in Jewish wisdom literature and applied them to the Logos and the embodied Logos, the human Jesus, because the prologue is trying to introduce Jesus in terms of God's wisdom, is trying to demarcate Jesus as the embodiment of God's wisdom, trying to demonstrate the theology of wisdom Christology. And another way that the Gospel of John accomplishes this is by taking the adjective monionis, translated as unique or one of a kind, from 
Lady Wisdom and Wisdom of Solomon and applies it to Jesus in the prologue. But now the prologue, the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, is meant to be an introduction to the rest of the Gospel. And so what I'd like to do is look at how the reference to Jesus as the unique one, the monogenes, in the prologue is expanded into the wider narrative of the fourth gospel. This leads us to our third point, which is the monogenes Jesus in the fourth gospel. So we've already looked at John 1.14, where Jesus is the unique one from the Father, full of grace and truth, specifically as the unique one that is the embodiment of the Logos, or the embodiment of God's wisdom. But Jesus is also called the Monionis in John 1.18. So John 1.18 says, No one has seen God at any time. The unique Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. That's John 1.18, and I'm well aware that there are some textual difficulties of this particular passage. We're going to go into the specifics of those textual difficulties where I'm going to argue that I think the best reading is the unique son who is in the bosom of the father. We'll argue that in a future episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Probably not too far in the future from when this episode is being recorded. But it is important to know that the Greek adjective monogenes is consistently used in all of the textual variants. And so within this passage, we have the statement that no one has ever seen God. But at the end, someone is explaining or revealing or unpacking or exegeting this unseen God to others. Who is that person? It is the unique one. It is the monogenes Jesus. So the unique son who embodies God's wisdom and God's word is uniquely qualified to reveal and explain the unseen God. Just like wisdom, Lady Wisdom personified in Jewish wisdom text is uniquely qualified to reveal God's wise intention and interaction with his creation. And so how does Monogenes function in John 1.18? Well, it describes Jesus as the one that explains and reveals the unseen God. He is uniquely qualified to do that as God's son. The next time that Monogenes appears is outside of the prologue. It's in the wider narrative of the Gospel of John in one of the most famous passages, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his unique son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, or more accurately, the life of the age to come, John 3.16. So the unique son, according to John 3.16, is the agent of God's plan to rescue humanity from perishing. God loved the world in this way, that he gave his unique son in order that those who put their believing faith into him will not perish, but they will possess, actually they do possess, 
eternal life, the life of the age to come. But if we're reading the unique son here as the embodiment of God's wisdom, who was formerly described as the unique one, as the monounice one, then we can frame this decision between believing or not believing in terms that are familiar with God's wisdom. Just as those who listen to wisdom are wise and those who reject her are fools in the book of Proverbs, those who put their faith into wisdom's embodiment, the human Jesus as the unique son, these persons will obtain the life of the age to come. And so we can see there that in John 3.16, Jesus functions as the unique agent, specifically as the Son of God, that brings about eternal life, that brings about salvation. And the last occurrence within the Gospel of John is in John 3.18, just two verses after the last passage we just discussed. John 3.18 says, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the unique Son of God. John 3.18 So we have much of the same from John 3.16. Although here there is an emphasis on the judgment already being inaugurated as those who have placed their trust in wisdom's embodiment, the unique Son of God, these persons have bypassed the judgment in some sense. But those who have not believed have already been judged. There is kind of this inauguration of the judgment of God, and that is made part by God's unique agent, the unique Son of God. So each time the Gospel of John refers to the man, Jesus, as monounice, as unique one, it recalls the monounice wisdom of God, and it further adds to the wisdom Christology of the fourth Gospel. In other words, if the Gospel of John is the first Christian writer to attribute this description of Lady Wisdom to the man Jesus, then it is done purposefully, and every time that it shows up, it further demonstrates Wisdom Christology in the fourth gospel. In conclusion, we have observed that the prologue of the Gospel of John is one of the strongest arguments for New Testament Wisdom Christology which is the understanding of Jesus Christ that portrays him as the embodiment and climax of God's personified wisdom. In John 1.14, we have the first time in Christian literature that the man Jesus is called monounice, the unique one, the son that is one of a kind who is in a class all by himself. We first noted that the Greek adjective monounis, as it appears in first century documents of the New Testament, does not mean only begotten. 
as many of the older translations have assumed. Monionis comes from monos, meaning only, and genos, meaning genus or kind, which is how lexicons are united in insisting that the meaning of monionis is that of one who is unique or one of a kind. To accept that monionis refers to one who is unique rather than only begotten is not to argue against Jesus' conception. The Bible is clear that Jesus came into existence in the womb of Mary, but you cannot argue this from the adjective monoyunis. You have to argue it from other passages. Second, we observe that monoyunis was formally used of Lady Wisdom, the personification of God's wise interaction with creation. In the work Wisdom of Solomon, written 50 years before the fourth gospel, Lady Wisdom is portrayed as Monoyunis, as the unique one. As with dozens and dozens of descriptions of Lady Wisdom used to describe the embodied human Jesus, the fourth gospel contributes to the wisdom Christology of the New Testament by depicting Jesus as the unique one, drawing upon Jewish wisdom traditions in doing so. Lastly, we saw that the manner in which the man Jesus is introduced as the embodiment of Lady Wisdom by portraying him as the monoyunis continues in the narrative of the fourth gospel. John 1.18, if we are correct in our textual reconstruction, suggests that the unique son as the embodiment of wisdom, is uniquely qualified to reveal and explain the unseen God. Furthermore, John 3.16 and 3.18 both encourage readers to place their trust and belief in Jesus as the unique Son of God, highlighting Jesus as the agent of God's plans for salvation and judgment. By continually depicting the human Jesus with the term monoyunis, which was formerly used to describe God's wisdom, the Gospel of John exhibits wisdom Christology, both in its prologue and in its wider narrative. Join us next week as we continue to progress through the prologue of the Gospel of John as we explore John 1.15 and the statement suggesting that Jesus was before John the Baptist in some sense. Please consider supporting the Biblical Unitarian Podcast as it aims to promote the sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You can support the podcast for free by sharing your favorite episodes and writing an honest review on iTunes. If you feel led to support the podcast financially, you may check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Thank you so much for listening to us at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith, and until next time, you folks take care.